13 of 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13. Joanne's going to read that for us and go through to verse 25. So 1 Peter chapter 2, starting from verse 13, and it's on page 858. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who were sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honour the King. Slaves, Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going, going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. Sorry, overseer of your souls. Amen. Our gracious Father, thank you so much that uh, you have uh, not left us in darkness, but you have revealed your will to us through the scriptures. And we thank you for your, uh, your, your transforming Holy Spirit and ask that he would uh, not only be informing our minds, but challenging our hearts that we would be changed uh, as we reflect on your word today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, today we're going to talk about authority and I suggest that uh, we Australians, we've got a, how would you describe it, a, a robust attitude towards authority, would you say? Uh, because uh, unlike in some other cultures uh, where there is a greater tendency to obey authority, uh, we're a bit different to that. Uh, we're more likely to question and to, um, to challenge uh, and even to, to ignore authority, uh, even more so than in some Western cultures that are a little bit more like us. There is something, I think, which is quite different, quite distinctive about the Australian uh, attitude towards authority. 
And some say, I'm not a historian, but, and I'm sure these issues are far more complex than what I understand, but some say that uh, there may be an element of that that is rooted in our convict past. So right now, we sit on a block of land which, uh, cont- which, which actually held a convict women's prison on it. And, and you've only got to walk five minutes down the road to the historical courthouse or to the museum uh, where you can read some of the documents uh, and read some of the accounts and descriptions of the uh, profoundly cruel, uh, despicable um, punishments which were inflicted on, on people for relatively minor uh, infringements. And, and you, can, you can see that, uh, and people say that that um, has actually influenced, it's, uh, it's permeated, uh, people get upset, they get angry about that, they develop a disdain for authority and that has uh, permeated our culture uh, and spread uh, throughout our culture down through the, uh, through the decades, along with other influences, of course. To some extent, the Australian attitude towards authority is helpful because uh, in Australia, our leaders, they, they need to work a bit harder uh, in order to be respected. Uh, respect isn't just automatically conferred. You have to earn respect. Our politicians are questioned. Uh, they are challenged. They are held to account, even publicly, in ways which some people who have come to Australia from other places think this is unbelievable. I can't believe that people would actually expose, speak to and expose the politicians like this. And I, I think that's, that's good. That's helpful. However, it's not always good, is it? Because this robust attitude towards authority uh, can also be very selfish. It can be unhelpful to those who are trying to lead and it can be unhelpful to the good order of our society and whatever environment we're in. Um, ask any school teacher. And when that involves Christians, it can also be a very negative witness uh, of the faith that we profess. So, as followers of Jesus, what therefore should be our attitude towards authority? And how should we engage with our governments, with our bosses, with our teachers at school, especially uh, when they don't treat us well, especially when we're mistreated by them, or we find that our obedience to God puts us into conflict with our obedience to the human authorities, which may happen, uh, because as the Apostle Peter has uh, made clear in his letter uh, so far, that we actually live as strangers and aliens. We, we might hold an Australian passport, but we're actually citizens of another place and there's going to be a culture clash based on issues of uh, belief and practice. And that's our situation as we live this side of, of heaven. Now, today's passage, which you might want to have open in your Bibles in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, today's passage is a challenge to us in more ways than one. And I guess one of the first things that challenges us 
is that it pretty much almost starts off with the word submit. In fact, it does start off with the word submit uh, in verse 13. Have a look at that, shall we? Uh, Peter says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Now, the word submit or submission is a word which doesn't always go down particularly well with us. And that's because of um, a particular way of understanding what submission's about, where submission gets confused with subjugation. It's the way that um, authority has been abused, so people are subjugated into submission. Uh, and plus, it, it goes against our uh, Australian attitude a little bit. But more deeply, it, it goes against the grain of our uh, self-centeredness. There is actually a sin element there as well. And so Peter gives us some good reasons for Christians to submit to authority. And we're going to talk more about submission in the next couple of weeks as well as we get further into this um, section of 1 Peter. But Peter gives us now some good reasons for Christians to submit to authorities. Now, the first authority, of course, he talks about is, is governments, kings and governors who rule over us. And I wonder if you ever think of governments as being a good gift to us from God. It's a bit hard to think that way sometimes, isn't it? Um, because of the fallenness of our humanity. But imagine uh, if we had no government. Imagine if it was every man or woman for themselves. Imagine if we had, uh, well, it'd be chaos, wouldn't it? Uh, imagine a society with no laws, with no uh, courthouses, without any prisons, a society where our sinful nature is just given freedom to, um, uh, to express itself uh, and to inflict itself on each of us, the rest of society. Or imagine a society which had no systems which encourage and reward those who do good. And there's various systems in our society that do that, uh, are there not? There's incentive systems in our workplaces and encouragement in the schools and so on. But the government does it as well. I mean, last week, was it last week we had Australia Day. And one of the good things about Australia Day uh, is that um, people get on it by the government, don't they? And it's worth actually reading the lists of people that get on it. I know that there's sports stars and TV personalities and so on, uh, but there's ordinary people. There's you know people that are being honoured because they've served for 30 years in the school tuck shop, uh, or they've you know served through the Country Women's Association, or they've you know cared for people in the hospital, or they've committed their lives to scientific research to help. Uh, cure terrible diseases and so on and you know this is a situation where the government is saying actually these people have done good and we want to commend them for that we want to it makes me want to do good it makes me want to lift my game a little bit and and serve other people imagine if you had a society where that didn't happen where there was no encouragement and there was no laws no government 
The Apostle Paul expands on this in Romans chapter 13, in verses 1 through to 7, where he says that it is God who establishes governments and that God does so for the good ordering of society. It's a mercy of God. And guess what? Paul goes on to say, that's why you pay taxes. That's what he says, Romans 13. Or in 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, we are to pray for governments. Uh, we are to pray that they would, would do their job well. Uh, we are to pray uh, that they would do that so that we can live our lives um, in peace, that we can live a peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness, not in chaos, not in anarchy, but in peace, so we can get on with living life. And so we are to pray for governments. So if that is the purpose of governments then as Christians, we actually need to make their job easier uh, by submitting, by obeying. There, there's a principle here that if, if someone or an organisation has responsibility, then they need to have authority to exercise that responsibility and it makes it a whole lot easier if those who they are responsible for actually submit to their authority so that they can get the job done. There's an interesting passage about church leadership in that respect as well, by the way. And so we need to make uh, the job of our governors easier by obeying. You know, it's like sticking to, the st sticking to the speed. I mean, there's a myriad of ways that we do that, but sticking to the speed limit uh, even when there is no speed camera, even when the person coming before on the opposite side of you hasn't flashed their lights to warn you that there's a speed trap up ahead. We need to... To, speed, to keep to the speed limit because it's actually a good thing to do. The government has made that for our benefit. And so that's just one example. But Peter gives an added reason for us as Christians. Um, verse 15, let me read it for you. Verse 15, he says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. How about that? The ignorant talk of foolish men and women. A bit of background here. The early Christians copped criticism because of a lack of understanding as to what they actually believed and how they lived and false rumours about them which were spread around the uh, empire. Uh, the early Christians were accused as being for being superstitious for being depraved and for being cannibals because word had gotten around that um, Christians uh, eat flesh and drink blood. Uh, you know where they've got that from. Uh, later on, they're actually accused of worshipping a donkey. Uh, when Peter wrote this letter, uh, who was the emperor in Rome? Does anyone remember? It was Nero. You know, not the nicest kind of fella actually. Uh, he, um, around, I think it was 64 AD, there was a big fire that swept across the city of Rome and Nero pinned the blame on the Christians because they were a soft target. People would believe it because these Christians, and Nero probably did it himself, but these Christians, they're bad people. They're strange people. They, they are bad citizens. Of course they would do something like that. Now, how should Christians respond 
Well, be holy. Uh, in verse 15, uh, Peter says, it's, it's actually God's will that we should do good, that we should be good citizens, that we should be great citizens, so as to silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Now, um, example of this, James and Leanne Hansen, who are uh, serving God in China, whom we as a church support, uh, they've told us that the, the communist government in China has a deeply ingrained philosophical opposition to Christianity. But when it comes to Westerners, young Western people teaching English in China, guess what type of Westerners they prefer? They prefer Christians. Because they've observed. They've observed the character of Christian people. That they respect the culture. They respect the laws. That they don't behave badly. That they're not immoral and also that they commit themselves for the long term that is they value add to the society and so that kind of it's incongruous with the authorities views on what the christians believe and it messes with the heads of the authorities but in the end they the authorities turn a blind eye and they tend to tolerate the beliefs of the christians because they know that they're actually seeking the good of the society. And that's just an example. When Christians take God's word seriously, we ought to be making a difference. We ought to be great citizens. I don't think that there can be too many... Think about this. Earlier on in the service, when Tim led us in prayer, we prayed for the government, didn't we? I don't know that there'd be too many groups of people who, uh, who gather together, who gather together and are taught and do in fact pray for the government and are taught to obey the government. Can you think of any other groups of people gathering in Australia where you get taught to obey the government? Maybe the Boy Scouts, but, uh, but actually, and not taught not to uh, just obey from a legalistic point of view, but to obey from the heart. I mean, in Australia, we, we kind of tend to think it's okay to break the law if everybody else is doing it, uh, or if there's very little chance that you'll actually get caught, you know, like under-the-counter uh, uh, payments, transactions, in order to evade tax, uh, or uh, structuring your business and financial arrangements so that you can exploit a tax advantage that was never intended for you, that kind of thing. But we are to obey the law, and not just according to the letter of the law, but from the heart. And the greatest reason for this is what we see uh, in verse 16. Let me read that. In verse 16, Peter says, Live as free men, but do not use your freedom... As a cover-up for evil, live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers, that's fellow Christians. Fear God, not in the sense that you're scared stiff of him because he's frightening, but rather because 
you really do respect and honour him and honour the king. Now, uh, through the gospel, we have been set free. Christ has set us free. Uh, Sin is no longer our master. We are now citizens of heaven. But we haven't been set free from one master so that we can just go and live our lives the way that we please. Rather, we have been set free because we've been purchased. We've been purchased by another master who is a very good master. And so therefore, we now serve God. You can't say, well, Christ has saved me so I can live however I want. No, we're actually under a new master now, a much better master. We serve God. And God's will is that we should submit to the worldly leaders. Uh, Not because we always admire them. I mean, Nero was the emperor at the time. He was dreadful. But rather, we submit to the worldly leaders because first and foremost we submit to our master God and he instructs us to submit to the worldly leaders. By the way, I don't think that that means in our context that we keep our mouth shut and just simply obey. Um, Because unlike the first century, which was totalitarian, uh, we live in a democratic society which actually expects us to engage uh, with government Uh, there are we can complain we can criticize there are proper channels for us to raise issues like follow the right format and you can get you can get a petition tabled on the floor of parliament Uh, our governments give us certain rights to get out in the streets and to protest uh, with certain restrictions and To top it off, we're actually allowed to change our government at the ballot box. In fact, if you don't vote, you're breaking the law. The government says you must vote, even though knowing that by doing so, you could boot them out. So we live in a different society and we are to engage with government, but in the end, uh, we must be respectful. towards authorities. Sometimes our loyalty to government brings us into conflict with the human authorities. Our loyalty to God, rather, brings us into conflict with human authorities. Now, Peter knew this personally. Uh, For example, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested. They had healed a man who was uh, uh, lame, and then they'd explained to the people um, how and why they'd healed him, because they shared the gospel with people, and they were arrested. Uh, When they were put on trial before the authorities, they were commanded to stop preaching the gospel. Now, sometimes there will be times for us when to obey government will mean that we would be disobeying God, and at that point we need to recognise that the higher authority is God. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were led off with a warning, um, not because the authorities were lenient, the authorities were leaning, uh, were concerned about the public reaction if they were harsher with them. They were led off with a warning, uh, even though Peter and John declared to them, we can guarantee to you, we will repeat offend. 
we will continue to obey God rather than to obey you. But sometimes our submission to God first may mean that we submit ourselves to the penalty of human government rather than their authority. That is, we submit ourselves to paying a fine or to go to prison rather than to disobey our ultimate master. And for the early Christians, refusal to worship Caesar, to bow down to statues of Caesar, uh, meant submitting themselves to the penalty of death. Now, it's crazy for governments to persecute Christians this way. It's, absolutely, it's a total misunderstanding of, of who Christians are because we're actually the ones who are committed to being the very best citizens uh, the Christians in the first century are taught by God's word to submit themselves to Caesar, which doesn't mean bowing down to an image of Caesar. It means actually from the heart uh, being obedient and being helpful to society. And so it's crazy to persecute people who are committed in that way. Uh, just like, as I said the other day, that last week, a few weeks ago, that the 20% of the North Korean Christians who wake up every day in a concentration camp because the government doesn't think that they deserve a place in the society. And yet Christians make the very best citizens. Christians actually pray for the well-being of the presidents and the prime ministers and the governors and we pray for our governments that God would bless them and that they would do good for the nation. So we are to be good citizens. Now, the second area, arena of submission to authority is in the workplace. And we see this in verses 18 to 20, through two, 18 to 20 which I'll read. Um, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Now some background here. Um, The Roman Empire was full of slaves. Um, The way that people became slaves were because, A, they were prisoners of war, uh, B, um, their mum mum and dad were slaves, or uh, C, that they would um, sell themselves into slavery in order to pay uh, out a debt. And uh, get this, in times of peace, when Rome wasn't actually going around conquering other nations, there was a shortage of supply of prisoners of war. And so... That started up a market of kidnapping people and selling them into slavery just to keep the economy rolling. And that was important for the economy because it was a, it was a slave society. A slave society is a society where a certain percentage of the population, over, over that percentage of the population are slaves, which means that the society and the fabric of the society and the economy depends on it. And so in the big cities... Uh, up to 50% or so of the, of the population of the city could be slaves. 
Now, the, the word that um, Peter uses here for slaves, it's a specialist word. Uh, it, it's, not the, um, uh, it's not the kind of you know, slave who's rowing an oar in the galley of a ship uh, or the slave is all chained up you know, in a chain gang on the roads. Uh, he's talking about um, household slaves here. And so these, remember that the slaves were not necessarily people of a different race, of very similar races, and also that um, uh, these were ordinary people. Many of them were uh, skilled and professional people. And so as, as household slaves, they would work for their owners as professionals, uh, as uh, domestic uh, servants, as managers and administrators, sort of white-collar slavery in that sense. And as you'd expect, there were some masters who would treat their slaves well and actually build up a good relationship with them. There were others who were absolutely dreadful. Uh, even some of the philosophers had come up with a view that, um, that people are, who were slaves are sort of, in a sense, less than fully human. You know, it's a different category of, of being. Now, sometimes the apostles and the Bible in general is criticised for urging slaves to submit to their masters rather than to rebel against their masters. Uh, however, um, in passages like in 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, Paul uh, condemns slave traders. Uh, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, slaves are encouraged, if you can obtain your freedom, then do so peacefully. But changing the society in that way is not the primary mission of the apostles at that point in time. Uh, indeed, when slaves in the Roman Empire did rebel, it always ended badly for the slaves, every time. It ended with Roads leading into the major cities uh, being, um, being lined with crucifixes, with the rotting bodies of rebel slaves hanging on them. You know, like streetlights or telegraph poles, it was just crucifixes. And the message is clear rebel, and this will be you. And indeed, when those rebellions took place, the slaves who didn't rebel copped it because there was then a clampdown on all slaves. Now, instead, the gospel changes things differently. The, changes, the, the gospel changes the nature of the master-slave relationship. In Ephesians and also in Colossians, Christian masters were commanded to treat their slaves with respect knowing that the master also has a master in heaven and here Peter encourages slaves to be submissive uh, that is to be helpful and to do good uh, not just to masters who are good but also and this is radical to those who are harsh and the reason for this is that ultimately who is it that we are serving in verse 18, it is God. Now, it's the same in our workplaces. 
Uh, like in every sphere of life, uh, we are to honour God uh, in our work. So that uh, regardless of our job uh, or regardless of our status, uh, the faithfulness in which we do our work matters greatly. The work of our hands and the attitude of our heart matters to our true boss, to God. And so whether the eye of our manager is on us or not, and regardless of how worthy our, our boss may be, we submit. That is, we do the right thing at work because of whom we serve. We fear God. Uh, not in that scary sense, but in the sense that we honour him. And so, in verse 20, Peter says that if you cop a beating at work because you did the wrong thing, then that's your problem. But because we, if, if, if you cop a beating at work for doing the right thing, then that's another matter. Because we serve God, there may be times when by doing good, we are going to raise the ire of our boss. Let me explain that. There may be times when we refuse to obey our boss and are punished because to do that which the boss wants would actually not be good. We want to do good. Uh, I remember my boss once asked me to do something which I considered to be not good. I considered it to be wrongful to another person. And in that particular instance, I talked him out of it, persuaded him there was a better way of achieving the outcome. However, if he had insisted, then I would have resigned or I would have been sacked. Uh, I would prefer to do good and not wrong. Now, you at work, and I don't know your work situation, some of you obviously are retired and others are yet to enter the workforce, but you might be asked by your boss to lie or to cheat or to treat someone else in a manner that is not consistent with the way that your true boss would have you behave. And if you can't persuade your boss to, to go about it differently, then it's actually better to suffer in their hands but to be commended by the one who you truly serve even if it costs you your job. The great example of this, of course, is Christ. Verse 21, Peter says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And then Peter goes on to recount what they did to Jesus. Now, Peter's not... Speaking academically here, Peter saw it with his own eyes, didn't he? He saw that the way Jesus was treated when he was arrested, when he was put on trial, the way he was beaten, the way that he was nailed to the cross, and he saw how it was that Jesus did not retaliate. In fact, what did Jesus do instead? He, he prayed for those who were doing this to him. Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
He prayed for them. And there is this uh, powerful principle that uh, when people mistreat us, that we actually respond to them by doing good. In fact, we see it in the passage, in next week's passage in verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you are called. It's a powerful way of responding to oppression, to do good for those who oppress us. Instead of retaliating, Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And so too can we, because in verse 24, Jesus is more than just an example. In verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. By his death on the cross, the penalty for sin and the sting of death and our wounds, your wounds, however those wounds may have been received, however those wounds may have been inflicted upon you, it's all been dealt with. We've been set free from that so that we can now live for righteousness as we serve our true king, our true master. The one who Peter says here is in fact the shepherd and overseer who, who really cares for your soul. Now, there was a story in the paper this week. I don't know if you saw this or not. Prince Leonard of the Principality of Hutt River Province. It has been announced that he will abdicate his throne next week on February the 11th due to old age. Did you read about that? Prince Leonard, Hutt River Province. Remember him? 46 years ago, uh, Mr Philip Kelsey had a disagreement with the Australian government. I think it was over wheat quotas, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so with his 75 square kilometre wheat property just north of Geraldton, uh, he took a stand and he declared independence from the Commonwealth of Australia. He seceded and formed his own nation, a principality. You like that? And he established his own government with officials and titles and uh, and immigration checkpoints and, <laughs> and uh, postage stamps and his own currency. Uh, the announcement uh, said that the crown will next week be passed on to his son, Prince Graham, who, to the uh, relief of the government, um, reportedly said, and I quote, I will try to bring about a more harmonious relationship with our closest neighbour, Australia. <laughs> the diplomats are so happy about that. As the federal government pursues the $1.5 million of outstanding tax. Prince Leonard wanted to be free. Prince Leonard wanted his own authority 
where he was not subject to the authority of the government, where he was freed from responsibility to live however he liked. It's actually a good picture of sin, really, isn't it? But it's we Christians who have been truly freed. Freed to serve God in our nation, in our workplace, and as we'll see next week, in our marriages. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the, uh, the gift of government, uh, for the fact that uh, chaos and sin does not uh, reign unfettered and that there is promotion of that which is good. Uh, we uh, do continue to pray for our own government in Australia, our various governments, knowing that it is comprised of sinful men and women. But, uh, Father, we pray that you would bless them, uh, that you would give them great wisdom and courage to make decisions which are good and fair and right uh, for the well-being of our society. Father, we pray for um, our uh, own attitude towards authority. Uh, may we engage with government and engage with those who are in authority express points of view but ultimately be respectful to the responsibilities that they have our lord god we uh, pray that in times when we're in disagreement with those in authority over us uh, when uh, agreeing and obeying them would be to disobey you uh, give us the strength to to stand firm uh, even though it may mean uh, loss for us but knowing that uh, our wounds have been uh, healed as Jesus was wounded on the cross that his death on the cross has paid for our sin and has granted us that citizenship uh, which we long for in heaven help us Lord God to be godly citizens to be godly workers to be godly students and to actually uh, silence those who may speak ill against you and your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.